So let's do this. Let's turn, if you have a Bible or your device where you look at it or whatever, I'm going to read it, but you can follow along. We're going to be in Philippians this week. So again, we're taking a break from Matthew till, until after Lent, and we're just going through just some of our passages that we like to teach on or that is some of our favorites or whatever else you want to call it. And this is one of mine. I've talked with some of you about this probably before. I had this, um, so when I was in college, I took uh, two years, actually I took two and a half years of Greek because I failed one time and had to redo it, so I got two and a half out of it. Um, I was a pretty, I was a pretty like not a professor's favorite student in college, I didn't go to class much and do this, but I really loved this one professor in this one class. And the final of the, like my second year of Greek, you had to go through and write this big long paper, and I'm not going to get into that very much because it's this cheesy theological whatever, but on uh, just a passage that was kind of chosen for you, right? And this was mine, and I loved it. And it was, it was like this defining thing for me, even as like a college student, to do well with something that I didn't try hard at and care at very much until this like project, and this, this one professor was wonderful. And so I want to talk about this passage um, and I will talk about some of the Greek stuff to it, but I'm not trying to be like, oh, the Greek and this. It's not like I read Greek now. I, I would be awful at it. So it's not like that. I'm not trying to be that way. But that's where this passage comes from, and it's this, one of the favorite passages in my life. So I want to talk about it with us. Um, it's in Philippians 3, um, and I'll just read it. And uh, I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll go back and pick at some of it and look at some of it together and just have a good time with it. And it says this, finally, my brothers, um, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I counted as a loss compared, um, for the sake of Christ, sorry, uh, but whatever gain I have, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, in righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may in fact share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have, um, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we have uh, Paul writing to this church, this group of people, and he gets into this interesting conversation in the beginning. First of all, uh, just real quick, who are the, the dogs that he's talking about in the beginning? Do we know? 
the dogs, the mutilators of the flesh, what does that even mean? Why, why would he discuss that? The, the idea there is that there was, there was this group of Jewish people at the time that were saying to all the Gentiles in this area of the world, in Philippi and Ephesus and all these places where Paul would go and teach and start churches, and they would say, look, that's great if Gentiles want to like Jesus and, and say that they are Christians, do this with us. But first, they have to become Jewish to get there. It was like this doorway for a certain amount of the Jewish culture. And they said, so, they have to become circumcised, they have to become proselytes, they have to be a part of temple, they have to do all these things with us. And we'll allow that, but they have to do that first. And Paul hated this. It was this huge drawback um, to, to what he was trying to do in the world for Gentiles to hear, oh yeah, it's by faith that you can like, be one with Christ, that you can know Christ, but you also have to do all these other things as well. You have to follow all the rules just a certain way, or you're not in, right? Kind of like what Mandy talked about. This, this idea of being inclusive or exclusive, this group of people is incredibly exclusive. And Paul hated this, so he calls them the dogs, the mutilators of the flesh. And then he says, they're trying, the idea here is Paul is saying, they're trying to get us to follow a certain amount of rules so that you can be righteous, Right? And that, sounds, that can sound ridiculous to us, except we do the same thing, right? We, to, to end up being um, the best church, the, the most progressive church, or the most this church, right? There's these things we have to do, things we have to believe, right? There's, there's, we've all, maybe not all, hopefully not all of us, a lot of us have had church experiences like this, where we felt like we maybe didn't fit because we didn't obey all the rules and do all the things. We weren't as righteous as someone else. And then so Paul goes through the list, right? He says, if anyone has reason to actually say they deserve Christ, it's me. And he says, look, I was born of the people of Israel, right? Of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the tribe of Benjamin was a big deal, even in this day. It especially was in Old Testament days and interbiblical period. But now even, the tribe of Benjamin is, is a thing. That, they are special people. And so if you were of that tribe... Everyone in town was like, ooh, they, they're of the tribe of Benjamin. That's, that's pretty nice. It, it wasn't quite a caste system, but it was, it was close if you were of the tribe of Benjamin. You were, you were special. And he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day, exactly like you're supposed to. He said, if you want to talk about like, knowing the law, I was a Pharisee. And in fact, he studied under like, the most important and the most scholarly Pharisee in his time. And he was like the next guy up. He, that was what Paul was going to be, Saul at the time was going to be. And if you know anything about that, again, we've talked about this before, but even to become a Pharisee, it's, it's crazy in, in the Jewish world at this time. So all the little boys would go to school. Um, all the little boys would go to school, and you would study for, I think it's three years, and you would study three years, and you would basically try to memorize the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. You would try to memorize them. And if you couldn't do it in the time, you would go and work with your father. You didn't get school anymore. They're like, you're not worth the time. You're not going to make it. You're not showing promise yet. Whatever, for whatever reason, you should go work with your dad, right? Go do what he does. And then you would go to the next, but a few boys would get to go to the next level. And they would say, okay, you've memorized this. Now we're going to memorize other parts of scripture. And every year they would need to memorize and study and learn and do these things. And every year they would exclude more of them. And they would say, oh man, sorry, you didn't make the cut. Go work with your father, right? All this time. But, but a, like very, very, very few would show promise enough 
and, and were smart enough and be able to learn the Old Testament enough, their writings, their sacred writings, enough to become someone who could study under some Pharisees. And then even they would progress, as it would happen, right? And then he was on the track to becoming the most scholarly Pharisee in his time, which we don't have something like that in our culture even. You know, it's like, it's not like the president of a university or anything even. It's, it's a different level of something because of all the cultural implications that it holds. It is a very, very big deal. And he's telling them, I was that person. He said, as far as zeal, did, did I, was I zealous to be a Pharisee? Was I zealous for Judaism? In fact, I was so zealous that I had people stoned, I had people thrown in prison, I persecuted the church, and I was good at it. Like, I was good at it, I tried hard, I was zealous. He said, I did everything right, no one, and he could actually say this, and it is bragging, it's ridiculous, but it's true. He said, no one has more reason in our culture to be proud of themselves and to think they are righteous. No one has followed the rules like me, no one. No one has more accomplishment in their culture, in religion in this day. No one can say they've done more or better than me. And then he says, though, but whatever was to my gain, now I count it to be loss. For what? For the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It, it's important there, too, this, this sentence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That the desire wasn't just to follow a different set of rules, right? It wasn't, I'm going to be the best Jew in the entire world. I'm going to be the most accomplished scholar that this culture has known. No, I'm going to do the same thing and make all these rules now to be a Christian, right? That's what a lot of us do sometimes, right? We, we want to succeed. We want to move up. We want to do all these things. We're like, okay, now what do I do, right? Holly talked about that the other day. Like, you know, you do all these things. Now you have a quiet time when you're youth. Now you've checked off, ooh, I went on a mission trip, or ooh, I did this, or I memorized F-A-I-T-H, or whatever it is for you, what it was when you were a kid. And then you go through these things, and you're like, well, now what? I have to accomplish more. I have to do another thing, right? Now my kids have to do those things, <laughs> right? Or whatever it is for us. And he said, no, no, the thing that these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh, this, this us, to be honest. What we fail to understand time and time again is that all these things that make us us, that we're proud of, that are important, that we're not proud of, that are seemingly unimportant, everything that makes us a me or a you, it's those things, when we actually know Christ, like when we when we really feel like we have communion or community with, with Jesus, all those things, they're just loss. And in fact, he goes further, and this is my favorite part of the passage, partly just for what I get to say, but he says, um, let me get to it, he says, in fact, I count it all rubbish that I may gain Christ. This word is super important in this passage. The word, I've talked about it with a bunch of you, the word is scupula is this word in Greek. It's hard to translate. Um, and so there's, there's a ton of, of conversation around this word scupula. Like why would Paul use it? It's not, it's not used anywhere else in the, in the New Testament. It's hardly used in other like, theological writings in the day. It's this random word. And it's because what it means. It's because what it is. So we translate it a lot of times as rubbish, right? But what is, that makes us think of trash, right? 
which is one way to think of it, right? Like, I count it trash compared to Jesus, compared to knowing Christ, right? And that's, that sounds fine, and it sounds true enough, right? And then you have, you have another one, is I count it waste, or I count it trash. We, we have those translations, rubbish, but the, the, the best way to describe that word is shit, because it's harmful human waste, is the actual, the, the best translation we have is harmful human waste. So shit is the best translation of this. We don't translate it that way, because that'd be strange, you know, it, it was strange to y'all just now to have me say it, and y'all know me, and we know I say this word, but we, but it's still, it, it's different to say harmful human waste and trash, because harmful human waste you don't want near you, Right? There are actual dangers of having it near you. We have cholera still in the world from it being near us and being in water. Like all these things, right? It's, you flee from that. You don't want it around. It's not like trash, as long as it has a bin, we're good, and then I'll take it out later. No, you, you don't want it with you. And Paul says, compared to actually having relationship, to actually like, knowing that Jesus knows you and that you can know him, everything else about us, all the rules we're going to be asked to follow, the right songs to sing, the right way to do this gathering, all of that is harmful human waste. Flee from all of that and just try to know Christ. This is, don't, not even, it's not even like saying, don't worry about the other stuff. It's saying, no, no, purposefully Make yourself not worry about it. Flee from it as hard as you can. It's shit compared. Get it out of here. You, you have to, and Paul is just trying to find ways to say how important and how beautiful it is for him to know Christ. And all these other things, he says, all the other, other things in your, in your minds that you worry yourself on and that you try to do right and you try to, to, to be socially acceptable and you try to be in society but not, and do all these things. He said, don't thread the needle, just all in, know Christ. And he, he goes further with it. He says, not that I've already obtained this. <laughs> not that I've already, in fact, been made perfect, but I press on in my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider... Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead. And then there's this, this other really beautiful image there. Um, it's, have, have y'all seen, okay, there's this clip, and you don't have to have seen it. We've all like seen a race in the Olympics. There's this clip in this, I saw it like last week, and I loved it, of these college athletes. I think they're running the 400, which is like, looks like the most awful race in the entire world. If you ran track and you ran the 400, oh my. It's a sprint the entire time around the track. It just looks miserable to me. But it's amazing because it's like this wonderful athlete that can do that race too, right? Because they're, they're not a 100 sprinter, but they're not running long distance. They're doing both. And they just, oh, they're just amazing to me. And, and I'm watching this race and the two guys at the end, they've been neck and neck the entire time and they're teammates. And at the very end, they're both, they both know, and it's, I mean, like, they are tied as you can be in a race. And one of them dives forward like this after he's run forward. I mean, it, like, straight away just goes horizontal, and the other one does a similar thing. They're both just, like, 
as hard as humanly possible trying to win. And they're teammates. They know each other. They train together all the time. They, they hugged. The thing. It was beautiful. But both of them, like, giving every little bit at the very end to finish and win was just incredible to me. And I loved it. Because I'm never, I, I did not do track in school and would be like, no, I'm not running that far. And it looks miserable. But they looked, it was beautiful watching them do this, right? That, this language Paul uses here, we don't translate that very well either. This, this straining for what is ahead is like that. It, it implies it's the same words and the same Greek like phrases and terms are used for Olympians in the time and athletes at the time. It's, it's this idea of needing something so bad you're willing to do anything for it. Like these two guys just Boom, going all in at the end of the race, right? It's like grabbing something white-knuckle-gripped because if you let go, you're lost or something. That's, that's the language here. But again, we, we don't translate it well because we, all we have is the word straining ahead, right? Or, or pressing on. But the idea is pressing on as if you have to have it. Straining forward with everything you have. That's the language. And Paul says, leave the other behind. It's harmful. It's not even worthless. It's not even trash. It's harmful to you to care for it and to love it too much and to have it identify you. It's, too, it's dangerous. Instead, as hard as you went at this stuff and more, strain forward and he calls it a prize. And the prize isn't heaven. The prize isn't, isn't being known as the best Christian in town or whatever it would be, the best worship leader or the, the whatever the most scholarly, the prize is actually knowing Christ. Because he says, and the beautiful thing is Christ has already made me his own. I am known. I want to know back. And that's, that's this driving force that, that Paul uses in this passage to just say, look, Finish the race, go for the prize. He says this later, uses this race terminology again, this like athlete terminology and this Olympian type of language to just say, if, if we only knew how beautiful knowing Christ could be, he's like, you would strain ahead. You would dive for the line. You would do anything and everything to get every other thing out of your way if it's in the way of you knowing Christ. And this urgency is like seeping through this. This, this need, right? This, it's beyond passion. It's obsession and, and, and strange to everyone else, right? Like, yeah, that guy should go to prison. <laughs> that's what they all do. You know, it's just, and that's what we get to do. That's who we get to become. Not these people that worry, are we doing it right? Not these people that worry, oh, I'm supposed to do more. Oh, I'm failing at this, I'm failing at that, whatever it may be for us. We get to be the people that wholeheartedly strain ahead. Um, and so what, what I want us to think about in that is just this idea of like what um, identifies you or what do you use to identify you, right? Like what are we, it's not like what are you proud of, but it's like, what do you fall back on to make sure you're okay, right? What's like, whew, okay, I'm at least normal enough because blank, right? Or this makes me better than that person, right? We have those things. 
But maybe we say, while we have communion in a minute, maybe we say, how do I trade that in for a desire to know Christ? How do I, how do I, how do I have God change my mind about that? That, is, that as much as that gives me comfort and as much as that gives me my identity and my character and my self-worth or my self-ness, right? That's not even a word, but you know what I mean. How can we switch it to be knowing Christ is that now? Knowing Christ is more, it's better, it's greater, right? And so maybe you think about that when you have communion. Maybe we think about, as you have communion, this idea of knowing Christ who's not around can sound crazy to us. Um, maybe it's just make me want to want to know Christ. Make me want to want the Holy Spirit's involvement in my life, right? Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just help me want to want something. <laughs> or maybe we just say in taking communion, I just want to be a part of the table. I just want to be a small player in this this desire to know Christ. I just want some of it, right? So let's do this. Um, I'm going to pray for us, actually, before we do communion. I'm going to pray for us, then we'll, um, we'll stand together to do communion, and we'll have a liturgy of response. Then after we um, say the liturgy, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together, and then we're going to have two songs up here. And whenever you feel like the time is right, come take um, communion. The ones in the little baggies are gluten-free. The other ones are glutened. So just know that, and everyone's welcome, all right? So let me pray for us. God, we, we know that um, we know that we can become comfortable with ourselves, especially when we fall into this like trap of thinking we're at least better than some or better than most or whatever we think. Um, we try to be we try to um, succeed in so many ways we find worth in it we find value in it and it just makes it harder when we fail (laughs) and God though we want to trade that in for an intense and real desire to know you and by knowing you have your justice like fill the earth and have your community in our streets and your life through us. That's what we want. In Jesus' name.